This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 24 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today we have Shannon McCarty. She's fresh off her win from the National Stock Horse Association show on her horse, Hickalina, winning the non-pro at the intermediate non-pro and the novice non-pro at the reigned cow horse fraternity. That's something. And we've got the author of Healthy Stables by Design, John Blackburn, who's been in the news a lot lately. And he shares how he, we could give our uh, horses more choices in their environment, but we can still shelter and protect them doing it. And last, we have Dr. Andrew McLean discussing overshadowing in our trainer's tip. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to The Horsemanship Radio. Welcome, all. We have a growing audience now, and we thank you all for listening. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the months, and I have my producer, Glenn, with me today. Hey, what's happening on the East Coast in the horse world today, Glenn? Uh, I got to drive my pony this morning, so I had fun with that. A beautiful day here in Florida till about 10 o'clock in the morning when it starts to heat up to about 100 degrees. Oh, 100? Well, wow. yeah, the, the real feel today was like 107 because, you know, it only gets up and to the 90, you know, mid to upper 90s here, but the humidity is about 100%. So <laughs> it's like, Oh, man. And your poor pony. He's pulling you around. Yeah, I know. But I got out early this morning. So so my poor little pony wouldn't have to pull me around in 100 degree heat. Yeah, Um, that's well, you know, I bet it's beautiful out there, though, in that cool morning. It is. It's beautiful. When when it's nice weather here in Florida, it's beautiful, you know, and uh, we're we're coming. It'll start to cool off a little bit now. Yeah, good. We'll start to do that. And did you guys get any rain at all in this last batch of rain that hit Phoenix and everything? Oh, you know what? We got five minutes. We did. Five minutes? Wow. <laughs> true story. True story. I was going out to ride on Monday, and I got in my car uh, where I am, and it was a little overcast. It was like one of those muggy kind of looks. No sunshine. What? No sunshine in Southern California? And uh, on the way there, I almost called in castle. I, my windshield wipers went for like five minutes in a row, and then broke did on the other work? side. they still work? They remembered. <laughs> 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 you know, and I got to the other side of this little pass, and now hot. It was like, well, it wasn't as hot as yours, but it was like 92 or something. It went, okay, that was it. So it all dried up by the time we actually got to the barn. <laughs> all the, you know, when it seat- rains there, do you guys just sit and watch it? You know, it's kind of weird. It's it, people were, well, it, it goes through spurts. I mean, in every five or six years, we'll have a ton of rain, right? And then everybody complains that their horses are standing into mud up to their knees. And we forget, you know, in about five days we forget and we go, oh, this is really miserable. And um, I had somebody on Facebook just recently say, hey, I was out at Flag is Up Farms and I saw that they had horses. We had the rescue horses out in the back, had these horses out in these open pens and they're going to get really muddy out there and everything when it rains. And I thought, oh, well, you know, it'll be. Yeah, that ain't happening. <laughs> and for everybody in other countries, California is in the middle of a drought right now. They so, really are, yeah. yeah, they haven't seen rain a whole lot this year, years. if at all. It's years and years. No, yeah. it's not just this year or last oh, year or right. the other. It's like, you know, we're, I don't know, we're years going on. Five or six years now, we really have been in a drought situation. So, we literally, the roads, the oil comes to the top of roads. So, when you're, um, when you get a little wet, whether it's your ride, you know, you, you got your horse going across a road or something, or you, you stop too much in a car, too 
too fast, you know, you have to watch out because with a little bit of water, just a teeny bit, you really start to get an icy, not literally, but you get a slippery situation on the roads because the oil is just sat there not being washed off for, for huh. the longest time. People in hot country know what I'm talking about. Maybe even in, no, in Florida, you get, you get, we, no, we've been, we've been having record rains. We've been getting an uh, inch or two of rain almost every day. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, but it'll yeah. come down. We'll get that inch of rain in an hour and a half. You know, it'll yeah. be a, it'll yeah. just poor buckets. You can't see the tree outside my studio here. Oh, and then, you know, for an hour, it'll do that. And we'll get literally get about two inches of rain. And then in about a half an hour, you won't know it even rained because it all just sinks in here. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, yeah. it's just gone. And that's yeah. why it's so green. And lo- that's why they're the tropics. That's right. That's, that's right. why it's Florida, too. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel sorry for the uh, people that have horses in, in warm climes like this because it is... It's it's nice, but it you know if we don't have water, the hay gets expensive. It, it, uh, horse people are all groaning together with me right now. They know <laughs> all the downsides of of not having rain for years. It's uh, it's getting expensive too. So um, we're going to keep trying to bring this. Uh, this John Blackburn has a lot of ideas for um, the environment of your stable too, and how you can keep some of the watering, you know, conserve and to do some solar panel, you know, stuff like that really adds to the help a lot of, uh, you can, and you can retrofit or you can build your barn that way. So it'll be really interesting to follow some of his advice. And, um, we'd like to have him back to even do more, um, specific things for regions too. I, I think people will find that interesting, but write and let us know. And what did I see about your dad becoming this big star here recently? Ooh, that's right. He was on a publicity tour. Yeah, I have to tell you quickly about that. Um, he he spoke as a keynote speaker for Bravehearts in uh, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, uh, for their national. It's it's all the therapeutics get together and meet at Bravehearts, which is the largest um, veterans program through a therapeutic path. Path uh, certified and path certified program, path certified um, equestrian center, everything. And uh, there's a wonderful team there, Megan uh, McQueenie and uh, Patty McKevitt, and they they run a great program. And Dad was asked to keynote there, so he started there, and then he went to Washington D.C. and he spoke to the Humane Society, and he's out there swinging for horses, guys, and and he. Um, spoke to Elizabeth Dole's organization about doing some work with them and the veterans. It was all about, the whole trip was about horses and veterans and the Horses and Healing program. Then it, it um, went, the, the party moved to New York, and uh, you can probably see the link on our Facebook page still, but he was on Fox and Friends on Saturday morning, and he literally, literally did a bitty-bitty join-up right there in Manhattan outside the studio <laughs> on, on carpeting with a carriage horse, beautiful carriage horse named Max, and uh, people should go on the Facebook and look at that because it's really cute because you could tell, you know, the, the Tucker Carlson and everything, they're awesome people, but they didn't quite understand what this whole thing was about and and I think they got it. It was like one of those light bulb moments. It was really fun. And then we had one of our veterans that had been through the program, Alicia Watkins there, so people will see her and she um she was in the Pentagon when the planes went in on 9/11 and today happens to be 9/11 that we're recording this on Glenn. And um she she um was whisked off to Afghanistan as part of that. And she had some real difficulties and she came back and actually became homeless. Um, but she now is at Harvard and, and getting 
she's top of her class, and she wants to work with horses and people, and she's getting her degree in psychology. So she's a great turnaround story, and she's a wonderful lady. She actually just won Ms. Massachusetts when she was up there going to Harvard. Oh, really? Uh-huh. It's just a great story. So people should go and peek at that. It's a lot of fun. Dad was just having, he was just a kid in a candy store. And then he went down to Kentucky uh, to finish up this little tour. And he uh, did a, a filming at TaylorMade Farms, which is oh, the yeah. uh, famous, famous bluegrass, yeah, Kentucky bred horses. And there, um, Joe Taylor was one of the first uh, foundational trainers that really recognized dad's work back in the 80s and uh, and it was actually instrumental in the Queen finally getting exposed to his work because he was uh, touting it and it went into articles and magazines and you know eventually she read about it. So um, I credit the Taylor family uh, for doing a lot for for natural horsemanship, frankly. And, of course, TaylorMade Farms is one of those little understated farms there in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's huge. It's it's famous the world over. I yeah. think probably people could make an argument for it being the number one breeder and producer of thoroughbreds in the world. Uh, that's just where all the, the shakes come to shop, you know? <laughs> yep, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. place. Of course, they're all beautiful there. but uh, It's hard to be <laughs> ugly there. It's true, but... <laughs> <laughs> but they really have a generational attitude towards their horses, and they love their horses there. And Frank Taylor and Mark Taylor, and just thank all those guys for just being complete wonderful hosts. And Dad just had, uh, he just came back buzzing, just had a great time. And you're going to see some of that um, on our Equus Online University, or if you watch HRTV and uh, some shows, we'll have some uh, footage coming out of that. And it's just really good for horses, I think, all the things that they're doing. So. Sounds so that, good. That's our, that's last week. Anyway, yeah. All right, very good. Well, our first guest, who do we have coming up? Oh, we have Shannon McCarty. Um, talked a little bit about uh, her in the top of the show, and I can't wait for you to meet her. And we're going to get to her right after this word from Index Fund Advisors. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. <laughs> You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an index fund advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Shannon McCarty is a mother of two boys, Cal, who's 14, and Gray, who's 12, and she's lived in the San Inez Valley of California all her life. 
She rode hunters from the age of five and then racehorses for five or six years after high school. And that's where she met Monty and Pat Roberts, my parents. In her mid-20s, she started riding Western horses, and she rode her first rainer with Ron Emmons at Flagstaff Farms, then when uh, Ron, Ron Rawls and Philip Rawls then were trainers. And she's been to the Snaffle Bit Maturity for the last 12 years, and she's going again this year with her mare, uh, Chikaroo's Kitty. And she joins us fresh off her win at the National Stock Horse Association show on Hickalina, winning the non-pro, intermediate non-pro, and the novice non-pro at the Rain Cowhorse Futurity. Welcome, Shannon McCarty. Thank you for joining us today, Shannon. It's really good to have a, a non-pro winner with us today. Um, we want to hear about your exciting trip. But first, who are you riding these days? Um, these days I am riding uh, a five-year-old gelding mm-hmm. named Hickolina, um, otherwise known as Pickles. Pickles. And he's um, what we call my derby horse, and that's for horses that are four and five years of age. So this is okay. his last derby year. And um, my second horse is a three-year-old named Chickaroo's Kitty, otherwise known as Cat. And she's my um, Snapplebit Futurity prospect that I'll be showing in September. How exciting. And you're out at the barn right now. Thank you for calling in from there. Yeah, you're sweet. Shannon is one of the busiest writers I know for all our listeners out there. And uh, and it's culminated in a a great win. Tell us about... um, what you just achieved, and then take us back a little bit about how you got there. Um, we just recently went to the NSHA, and that's the National Stock Horse Association, uh, what they call a pre-futurity. And at this pre-futurity, they have a derby, and that is where I showed my derby horse. And one of the main reasons I went there is because it's his last derby of the year. Yeah. So it was kind of nice to go out with a, you know, a win. And, no kidding. Um, yeah. I bought the horse... Uh, Oh, the end of December. So I haven't really had him that long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been showing him in the derbies this year. He 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 was just a straight cutter. Ah. Um, so he's well, had to learn how to do the the reining part of it and the down the fence part of it. Um, wow. But I'd say he's a quick learner and had quite a bit of success. He must. Yeah, it must be, because your scores are amazing on the reining and down the fence. So how did you get him there so quickly? He's just that smart? He's, he's pretty smart. He, you know, he, he, was, he had a good foundation on him, so it was just, you know, showing him a little bit of different of a style of, of how to stop and, and how to turn around. And uh, this, this, was, this last show, he's kind of put it all together. The two previous shows I've taken him to, we've had a few glitches. Here and there, um, just from him not being, you know, solid. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, how, he, it's just, yeah and, and how much cow work have you done on him? Do you, um, he, he as, as a three-year-old, he was with Morgan Cromer, and a, 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 her assistant, Jake um, Pinero, owned him. Uh-huh. And so he got shown his three-year-old years as a cutter, and he won, he won over $25,000. Good grief. Just in his three-year-old year. So he was, he was fairly good. Um, and Jake had him till he was four, and then he sold him just, um, I think mainly just because he wanted to get another young, aged, you know, event horse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so okay. that's, that's when I got him. 
that's great that he's been doing so well um, to diversify. That's why you won the whole thing, I'm sure. Uh, you know, there's a lot of us that uh, get to watch raining on a regular basis. My mom shows. My dad certainly has done his share. But not everybody uh, knows the scoring system. And it can be a little frustrating when you're watching the cool stuff that's going on these days on HRTV and a lot of the raining um, programming that they have. But not all of us know what they're talking about with these weird kind of numbers, certainly not a one to 10. Could you explain a little bit about that? Um, yeah. Uh, the rating is, a uh, is, uh, based on a, um, a point system for each maneuver and there, there can be up to eight maneuvers in a pattern and okay. those maneuvers are plus or minus, um, a half a point to a full point. Mm-hmm. And, um, Everybody starts with a 70. So that's if you just go in there and you just kind of put another, you know, an average. You do everything just kind of average and clean, you get a 70. Okay. And like this last horse show I went to, and most of the aged event shows will have three to five judges. This show had three judges. Hmm. So if you, you know. They take the average? If you're at a yeah. 210, uh-huh. that means all three judges gave you a 70. Right. So you'll be, you know, if you turn around, your horse spins, you know, a little faster and looks a little nicer, you might plus half of that. So mm-hmm. now you're at a 70 and a half. Or if your horse really slides nicely, the, you know, he might plus you a half or, uh, you know, maybe even a full point. So now you're at a 71 or a 71 and a half. And um, they just keep, each, the scorecard has a, a little box for each maneuver. You know, okay. Circles, spins. Slides. Yeah. Have you have and you it, judged have you judged before, Shannon? Too. No, no, I haven't. Yeah, you're non pro. I, I know that's true. Um, it, it must be difficult though. Some of those are subjective. Do, do you find that um, people have their favorite judges? Does it get a little? Does it get a little oh, like yeah, that? I mean, you know, there's uh, definitely judges that like different styles. Styles, yeah. Um, but you know, there is with that kind of a point scale, they got to be pretty accountable for it all. Yeah. So, and especially with three judges, and if if there is one judge that's, you know, way out of there. And it's, I think it's a, if there's more than a two and a half or three point mm, discrepancy difference. between judges, yeah. they will review it. Yeah. Good. Good. And all three judges will discuss that. We, um, I, I would love for you to describe to the listeners what it's like on some of those patterns and some of that sliding. We are going to put up on the show notes this beautiful photo of you in a hackamore, which is oh. the the traditional hackamore of there's just not much on that head. Uh, all that woe is going on in your legs and uh, and and your cues. Tell us, tell yeah. the listener a little bit. Can you describe it a little bit? What that feels like? Um, it feels very powerful. Hmm. Yeah, it's very powerful, and you gotta, you know, you gotta trust your horse to stop. And um, as odd as it sounds, the, the a good start, a stop starts with a good rundown. If you're not running clean and fast and hard, you're not going to stop. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of like landing a jet, really, is what it, you like. Wow, that's a cool, that's a cool way to describe it, landing a jet, because you've got all that power. How fast are you going? Thirty, thirty-five miles an hour, maybe. Well, I, yeah, I'm not sure if you're going quite that fast. Depends on the okay. size of the arena and the horse. That's true. Yeah, of course, the age of your horse, but you're moving. You know, you're moving right along. You feel like you're about not, eighty miles an hour sometimes. Yeah, at times <laughs> it does, especially when you're in a hackmore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and and how long can a horse perform in a hackmore like that with nothing in his mouth? For for listeners, you got to go see the photo. It's amazing. Uh, uh, Before two he, two years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then. 
then you either go to the bridle or you go to trail riding. Is that right? Exactly. <laughs> you get yes. to the next discipline. Yeah. That's exactly. amazing. And, and do you use the fence as a, as a training aid to begin the, the baby steps of learning to stop? Um, yeah. And, and, and yes, I do use the fence, but not, I don't use, use it to make them stop. I use it to teach mm-hmm. them to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have something to run to. Right. Yeah. No, that is such a cool, that's such a cool thing. Do you run to the barn too, or away from the barn? Or do you find that that makes any difference when you're in the arena? I mean, Oh, um, usually they run a little bit better towards the barn. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. There's a tip. I haven't really had any issue with that. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. So they're all, what do you find in a, in a horse that, is it just the big engine? What are you looking for in a brain that does the best for you? Somebody that wants to be a team player who wants to be there and help you. Yeah. You know, um, I don't really particularly like a huge engine because that gets in the way a lot. But mm, okay. Not that I haven't had some like that, but they have to be willing. They have to be willing to go out every day and, okay, what are we going to do today, and how can we do this? How can I help you? Mm-hmm. I'll Tell us a little. Try over talent any day of the week. Boy, that's the truth, isn't it? Attitude is everything. <laughs> And they know it too. You, you're a good reader of the horse, obviously, but um, that's um, that, that's the trick, I think, is finding and, and breeding is so important. So you're yeah. you're liking this, yeah? You're liking Hikalina for uh, for her for her. It's her, yeah. Breeding, yeah. 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 Sorry. Okay. There you go. Um, well, the name tell, like pickles. It's got to be a bull. Pickle. I know. See, that's, I guess they're my pickles. <laughs> I like it, though. Either way. Um, so take us back a little bit in your youth, though. Um, and I'd love to hear about how you got into horses, because everybody's got their own story, and why you stayed in horses. I, I kind of grew up in them. Um, I started riding. I went to my first horse show when I was five. So, you know, and I was riding hunter and jumpers. And um, through my youth, I was very fortunate, and I was able to, you know, because my parents didn't have a lot of money. So I was very fortunate to be in a barn that had some amateur riders that needed their horses seasoned, and I was able to ride their horses for them. Mm-hmm. So I got a lot of miles with a lot of different horses doing that. And in the hunter-jumper thing in the youth division, you can do that. Yeah. Um, and after that, after I graduated from high school, um, it's really expensive in the hunters thing, and I wasn't going to be able to continue on on that track. Mm-hmm. And that's when I went into the racehorses. Yeah, that's an interesting left turn for some people. You were yeah. small. You were small, so you could yeah, do yeah, that. Which is, yeah, it just kind of seemed like a challenge. And it, it was, you know, I learned more about horses there than I have before or since, really. Wow. You know, we did on that number of horses. Mm-hmm. So you were young horses and that many young minds. Right. And that many thoroughbreds. Yeah. Exactly. It was very educational. And you were riding off track. You were on a. Uh, in a training facility, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, that flags up. Yeah, well, I was going to have yeah. you introduce that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was you flags up, uh, you know, for several years. I mean, doing the, you know, that was back in the heyday when you know we were taking, we were taking a hundred and some head of horses to the track every day, and amazing. The two-year-old yeah. flex sale and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Those were great memories and. A great time. And there's still, even to this day, there's nothing, nothing like being on a good racehorse at 6.30 in the morning galloping mm-hmm. through the fog. 
Oh, that sounds so nice. Yeah. And, and it is a beautiful area. So you were at Flag is at Farms how many years? Four, four or five, six years. Five or six years. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much all through the late 80s. That's a lot of experience. What do you think was one of the most important things that you learned? Uh, geez, just, I don't know, there was so much. Yeah. Um, you know, a little bit, a little bit every day goes a long way instead of a lot, you know. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Was, Not to know, overwhelm. A lot of horses there. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. very educational also, you know, at that, at the, during the heyday, we had two veterinarians there. All yeah. afternoon. So, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with them, too, and learned a lot about legs. Yeah, very good. Uh, and Yeah. Things of that nature. And so you got out of it then after that and started riding Western horses. That's a, that's yeah, a big divergence again. Still there, we had a, they had a trainer on the breeding side of the farm, Ron Emmons, who was into reining horses. Mm-hmm. And I kind of started going over there after work or in the afternoons and riding with him a bit. Yeah. And that was, you know, I was in my 20s by then, and that was the first time I'd ever even been in a Western saddle. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, so that was quite a transition. And I rode and, for a while and then got my um, first cow horse from the Ward Ranch. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty much had one every year since then. I rode, once I got my own cow horse, I was riding with um, Ron Rawls, who had nice. also been at Flag Is Up, but he wasn't there. He wasn't there when I was. He was just leaving when I was getting there. And some people will know Ron Rawls' name. Yeah, that's that's a great teacher. He's he's won everything in his yeah. genre and uh, the Magnificent Seven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People can Google him. That's a good teacher to have. Yes, I wrote with him until he until basically until he left and uh, went to Texas. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I switched and started riding with his son Philip mm-hmm. Rawls, and I've been with him for um, eight years now. Amazing, and he's followed in. Dad's footsteps and done yes. just about as well. I guess he's probably still got goals to hit out there, but we've had him on the radio as well, and um, he's a good teacher. You think? Yeah, he's an excellent teacher. He's a really good teacher, and he, uh, you know, he stood up with me for eight years. But he's, uh, you know, I've been with several, several different people, and he, he was the one trainer that gave me a piece of advice that I think really, you know, turned my whole program around and as non non pros and people that are going to lessons we find ourselves kind of getting trapped into um, you know, hanging on our every word of the trainer. And mm-hmm. oh my horse is doing this, I don't know what I should do and and then when you get up to the, you know, upper level of where I would like to think I am, mm-hmm. you know, you you gotta start making those calls and, you know, he told me a couple of years ago, he said, you know, Shannon, you need to own what you're doing. Mm. right or wrong you need to own it because once you do that then we can come and fix it but if you're kind of going well I kind of think this is right but I don't know if that's right you know mm-hmm. this this is not going to work and once he allowed me to own my mistakes and own what I was doing and that mm-hmm. he was going to be okay with that mm-hmm. the program really just took off look at that yeah it's a little bit like what you were talking about with the horse it's really it's up to him and it's the attitude Good advice. Good right. advice. Yeah, so you've been to the Snapple Bit fraternity now, which is uh, quite an accomplishment anyway, for the last 12 years. That's yeah. amazing. 12 years. And, and you're persistent. Is this something that you feel like you could do 
for another decade? Can you? Can you? Yeah, I can't imagine yeah. why not. Yeah, exactly. I hold up to it, but yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people doing it right now that are way, way older than me. That's right. That's right. And and but non-pro status. I mean, there's a there's a significant um, amount of sacrifice that you have to make yeah. to stay in that status too. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a dedication. It's a, a labor of love. It is, and it's 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 yeah, it's uh it's a hard deal because you know I'm not a wealthy person, mm-hmm. so it's um because of that people know that, and I get you know I get I get a lot of questions, you know, well, is she really you know because I don't have my own branch and mm-hmm. buy my own horse, I have to board them out, and then you always get the you know, well, is she riding there, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm always defending my status, also. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, I'm sure. At times, but <laughs> I'm sure it goes with the territory, but. Um, we're proud of you for for hanging in there too, because yeah. it's a big it's a big leap to do otherwise. So yes, it is. It's a huge leap, and you know, it's just whether you know, I, I have two children. One, they're just starting. One's in high school, and the other one's, you know, in seventh grade. So it, it's you know, the non pro thing's about all I can do right now. I ride yeah. in the morning yeah. and take care of the kid. You know, I can come get to work by, you know, or work. I can start riding my horses by nine or so. Mm-hmm. Be done at lunch and pick up the kids from school. And, you know, you just, if you were a trainer, you just, you just don't have that luxury. Yeah, luxury. That's right. Good for you. I'm sure there's a lot of women out there and men who are applauding you for everything that you're doing, not only for horses, but for the industry and for the love of, of the um, discipline that you've chosen and done so well. So tell us about looking forward to the uh, Snaffle Bit Futurity. When do you oh, go? And fun. Um, they've added some money this year, so that's brought up the numbers. So there's like, um, a friend was telling me there was like 51 non-pros this year. Wow, there was 51. Only like last year. Yeah, that's huge. So, yeah, and it's you're a gonna fun show, you know? We're there for two weeks, and there's a lot going on. There's horse sales. There's a huge, uh, what do you call it, vendor. Uh-huh, like a trade yeah, show part of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a big trade show thing going on, and... It's the one horse show of the year if you're not, you know, I always bring family and stuff, even if they're not horse people, because there's just so much to see there. They just don't, you don't end up just sitting at the arena watching one run after the other. You can go to the trade show, you can go to the horse sales. Mm. It's in Reno, so you, you know, there's the casinos, and it's, it's a great <laughs> show to go to with your whole family. Right, and it's in October? It's uh, September 21st through October 5th or something like that. There we go. Okay, good. People should look that up. And you're going on a ho- uh, mare, Shikaru's kitty. I'm going on a mare. Yeah, she's out of the same sire or by the same sire as my gelding. Different, different mama. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and how how do you feel your chances are with fifty one? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking they're pretty good. Good, good. Well, we'll be cheering you on. We're going to follow you up and I'll, I'll put some stuff up on uh, Facebook and we'll keep up with you. And, and you have a Facebook page too. Is that the best place to go follow you? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not really excellent about keeping things posted, but yes, that'd be the best spot. No need to be excellent. We just want to see those cool photos, which is yeah. like, it's all about the pictures. It's all Absolutely. about the photos. Yeah. <laughs> so good luck to you. And I really appreciate you taking out your middle of your day here to come join us. I'm sure the listeners are appreciative too of the, the background knowledge and we're going to we're going to cheer you on. Hi. I'm Monty Roberts and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. 
You can connect with other students online too, on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. John Blackburn serves as the president and senior principal of Blackburn Architects and has 35 years of experience in architecture and 30 years of work focusing specifically on equestrian architecture with more than 160 horse farms designed to his credit. His award-winning work is widely known for its beauty and functionality and sustainability. Blackburn has built facilities for racing, polo, dressage, hunters, jumpers, and quarter horses in a variety of climates and evolving site conditions. And he's been featured in dozens of equestrian architecture and luxury lifestyle publications. Welcome, John Blackburn. Thank you for agreeing to be on Horsemanship Radio, John. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. Where are you calling from today? Are you back east? I'm back east. I uh, travel a lot, but you caught me in my uh, where I live and work is Washington D.C. Washington D.C. And you know what? It happens that Monty Roberts is there right now too. Actually, just flew from there today back to uh, New York, but he was there too. And um, you guys get around. Uh, I watch your schedule. You have offices in San Francisco and on the east. Is that right? Right. I travel. I sort of. I sort of tell people when I ask where I live, and I say usually airports. Yeah. Because <laughs> I seem to be in one all the time. Ah, uh, yeah. So you do sound a lot like Monty. Well, John, it was an honor that you uh, agreed to be on the show today, and I, w- I especially liked your approach, which is why I, I was hoping that you would agree to come on and share some of your knowledge. I like in your book, I, I fortunately received one of your books from you, thank you, Healthy Stables by Design, and right up front, one of the things that you had said was that while a degree of predictability as a result of domestication of horses is present, certain wildness will always be there because of the horse's instinct to protect himself. His only means of serious defense is being a flight animal. I love that. Right. Yeah. And that's the, that's the root of everything I do because they, that's, uh, I've always described it as a horse, give a horse a half a chance and they'll find a way to injure themselves. And really, mm. really what they're trying to do is, is flee for their own protection. And that's mm-hmm. their only protection really is to flee. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're saying too that stables should be designed to put the horse at ease in whatever, you know, this form of protection we put around them, uh, is. And and that makes sense. So you approach it from the nature of the horse outward when designing, if you can design from the ground up a stable. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, that. you know, as I've said many times, a, a horse is really meant to live in the wild, and one of the worst places you can put a horse is probably in a barn or mm-hmm. certainly in captivity. So uh, if you're designing a barn to uh, stable a horse, you need to uh, provide the same degree of security and freedom uh, of its environment mm-hmm. as if it were in the wild. That's hard to do. How do you do that? It is hard to do. Well, yeah. I primarily, I look at it from, um, uh, well, the first thing I ask is why do we, why do we put, want to put horses in barns? Okay. And I describe <laughs> it in some of the, if I can get, it's, it, if I get too long, tell me, I'll, I'll be glad to try to shorten it, but basically you have, I describe it as four values you're trying to protect. Otherwise, you leave the horse out all the time. But if you have a, you have four values. One, you have the investment value and the purchase. 
Mm-hmm. You had the, the investment value of the training of the horse. Mm-hmm. You had the investment value of the maintenance and care of that horse. Okay. And the last one, the most important one in many cases, in the fourth one, is emotional value, which right. can be worth more than the all three. So yeah. if if you have those values in your horse, you want to protect them. You, you yeah. could leave them out in the wild, which is great, but then at times you need to protect them. You need to bring them to the barn. And if you're going to have a horse in a barn, you need to design it to duplicate, in a sense, Mother Nature. In other words, if a horse wants to get out of the sun or run the in, into the shade, if it wants to get out of the hill, out of, out of the, the wind, it'll run behind the hill or something of that nature. Okay. And yeah. so it's trying to control its environment. And as I described to people who want to heat barns or air-conditioned barns, I've said the horse is not running from a 40-degree temperature to a 70-degree temperature or vice versa. Yeah. They're just trying to, to control their environment so they can remain healthy, and that's what the barn has to do. So yeah. I try to provide natural light, natural ventilation, and design the environment to be as healthy ah. for it, for that environment. So that's what you call their protection and shelter is their ability, or the maybe the stable's ability at least, to regulate some of this temperature right. and, and sun and, and uh, environment. Right. In other words, uh, you got to now to sort of play God. you got to sort of be in control of that horse's environment. So it's got to have natural ventilation and natural light and, and uh, your horse gives off a tremendous amount of, of bacteria and humidity, and so you need to get that out of the barn. And so how do you do that? And I do it in the natural way as possible mm-hmm. without incorporating mechanical means whenever possible. Okay. So you can reduce the cost of the barn, reduce the cost of the operation, reduce the risk of fire and other hazards that can come along with that. Good, good. That's hard to do. I mean, we're making a long laundry list of all the, those uh, requirements, and they sound really difficult. Is is there a difference in a, a barn that you might be designing for, say, uh, like broodmares versus uh, high-performance horses, too? Are, are there variables that way, or is a horse a horse? No, absolutely. There are a, lot, there are a horse is a horse in many cases in terms of tough needs and instincts and that sort of thing, but you know, no, definitely there are different differences for types of horses. Uh, uh, certainly a broodmare barn, certainly a thoroughbred broodmare barn would be very different than, uh, you know, a, a barn that might be for polo ponies. Totally different. But it's still, you're still there to protect the environment and the health and the safety of that horse. You may do it, uh, slightly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, certainly for broodmares, you want to get the, uh, use the natural light and natural cycling for, for the broodmare and then take advantage of that. So right. that, that's where I started, actually, with thoroughbred oh. uh, broodmares in a thoroughbred farm in 1983. And I was designing okay. for natural light, and I used skylights, and it lit the barn naturally. Mm-hmm. And sort of a signature of our barns is, unless a client requires to have a loft or some sort of a ceiling, is they're all naturally lit. Mm-hmm. You go into my barn any time during the day, and you will not need an electric light. Oh, that's nice. Uh, we do put fans in the corners of the stall to provide some ventilation in the, for the horse, but that's primarily so it's fixed so a horse can stand in front of the fan mm-hmm. or stand out of the fan. It doesn't rotate. So ah, yeah. That gives okay. that horse choice. Just like mm-hmm. if it was in the wild and wanted to get out of the wind or get in the wind, it can now make that choice. And okay. so the barn tries to give duplicate all that a horse would have to the degree possible. Okay, I missed that last sentence. Could you say that last sentence one more time for me, John? It, it tries to give, I try to give the horse 
uh, everything you're in the barn, I try to give the horse the same degree of, of freedom or options it has in nature. Uh, yeah. I don't know how, how I it, so I hope that's Yeah, I know. That's great. No, I got a blip on the uh, sound, so I wanted to make sure I got that from you. Uh, what What does footing look like in choice that way? Footing in the barn? In, yeah, the, in the stall, stall, actually, yeah. Well, there's a, there's a whole host of, of things you can do for uh, uh, footing in the, in the stalls, and it, you do a lot of different things, and a lot of times it depends on, on the, uh, the cost. Mm-hmm. And uh, the preference of the owner, but um, you know I think rubber mats and stone dust works mm-hmm. as, as well as most um, as most farms or most as, as most barns or most designs. But what I try to do with my natural light, natural ventilation concept, because the barn is ventilating and it's light, it's not mm-hmm. producing odors. You don't get the the uh, the ammonia gases and the methane gases collecting in the in the floor of the uh, stall, and therefore mm-hmm. ventilate. So that is freeing a lot of odors out of the barn, which normally is a problem. People complain about exploiting because of it, maybe maintenance issues, maintaining a level floor, mm-hmm. and for cleaning. But a lot of times it's due to odor. But if you can ventilate that barn, you're eliminating a lot of the causes of odor. And that's uh, and that's, uh, that's, that's a the, healthier environment. Yeah, that's yeah, right. that's good. So you build obviously a lot of equestrian centers, but you also retrofit. I know you've you've been involved in some real classic um, buildings that were restored. So can you do the same thing with that? Are you limited then when you have? If it, you are limited some, but uh-huh. for an example of one that we did do that was a uh, historic structure, which is Sagamore Farm in. In Maryland, which is the home of uh, Alfred Vanderbilt and Lady oh, Dancer, yeah. and oh, is yeah. now owned by uh, Kevin Plank from Under Armour. It's in my book. Right. It, we we took that historic structure and we adapted it, and I think it turned out exceptionally well. Uh, but there, in that case, we could not change the orientation of the barn, which we probably may have chosen a slightly different orientation had we mm. uh, had a clean slate to work with, but. Mm. Uh, we've designed it in such a way using Dutch doors and ventilation, skylights, and opening it and removing the loft that it works ex- exceptionally well. Great. So you, you fact, graduated. I, yeah, can, go ahead. Go I can ahead. tell you one little story about okay. that barn. Okay. That the, after we built it, the farm manager contacted me and said, John, we have a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, well, it's raining in my barn. <laughs> I said, what do you mean it's raining in your barn? He said, well, the rain is blowing. It's it's uh, across the fields, it's flying up under the roof, and it's, it's misting inside the aisle of the barn through the vents in the, in the uh, skylight. And I said, that's perfect. That's great. <laughs> now, your bar- now your horse is the same temperature, the same conditions as it is outside, yeah. but it's not getting wet. It's yeah. being protected, but it's being ventilated, and it's not damaging the barn at all because the barn is designed for that. Great. So, and yeah, there's shelter and protection. Yes, they should be. That's that's awesome. Uh, it is a, a difficult thing when you think about the Mongolian steppes and where horses came from. You know, we could see two or three miles in every direction, and to get that same environment without feeling like we're leaving them out in the cold. And I I, I know the feeling. I know I know our what do we call anthropomorphism? You know, we we make humans out of them if we can. But um, and, right. and working again with that. 
uh, that same idea of retrofitting. I mean, what's if somebody couldn't change their barn right now? They're saving their money for you, John. And right. what's the best thing they, they can do right now to redesign the stall or redesign the barn? I, I like your idea about the fan that's stationary so the horse has the choice. What's another thing that they could do? One of the first things I think in many cases is get is what they store in the barn, get the hay out of the barn, get the hay out of the loft, okay. get rid of the loft if you can, uh, get in natural light, do those sort of things which can be as simple as as maybe removing a loft or certainly if you're storing hay up and get, get it out of there, don't use the loft. I'd store hay in a barn for seven-day storage only mm-hmm. because it okay. provides convenience at the same time and usually it's on the same as level as the, state, as the stall. So you can service the barn, you can service it weekly, but you don't have it you know, filtering down into the air, people dropping in flakes of hay into a stall from a loft, mm-hmm. and all that just adds to bad air. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I would just, those would be one of the first things. I would just I do this frequently with an old barn, so I'll go through and we will make a priority list. These are the things you need to do to make this barn better for mm-hmm. tearing it down, which <laughs> can be the case, but yeah. this, is the, this is your list. And what we do is we prioritize it based on on the uh, the importance of it, how how critical is it versus and the cost. And so then we develop a, a plan, a phase of how you could go in. And so we'll do this first, the first year, first five years, and do this the next five years, and so on. Oh, so good. eventually you can yeah. get that barn adapted to the best you can. But you oh, can't, I love that. Uh, can't always do it. But. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's wonderful. The process we, that's the process we go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great that you have those options. Uh, and full disclosure, our sponsor ifa.com is owned by Mark and Beth Hebner, and they're that's how I met you. Is that they're having right. you design a barn for them, and I thought this is going to be interesting to watch because they've got all those conditions in Southern California that are tough. You've got a hot. Um, environment that right. they live in. It's it's inland a bit from, from the ocean, and so you've got right. kind of quiet air and hot. And uh, they're right. on a bit of a slope, and uh, right. they've got, uh, you know, just like all of us, they've got uh, conceptions about what a horse needs and what they don't need, and you're going to have to help us through that. I, we'd love to watch how this project goes with you and how you make those okay. decisions about trying to be green and uh, try to have a good environment but still have a shelter and protection from them. So one question I have on the uh, the flight mechanism of the horse, and we all know that that's the survival mode. And, and you talk about um, yoke gates so that the horse can see out. If there's a clamor outside, one of their flight mechanisms might be suppressed. It's a good thing. They might stay out of danger if they can peek outside and see what's going on and, and lower that adrenaline. On the other hand, we hear about territorial issues happening with gates that they can stick their head or, you know, doors they can stick their head out of and create, you know, sort of a walk by and biting uh, mechanism. Uh, we've, we've, we've taken them out of their natural environment, right? And put them into something sure. that can create a territorial. How do you, do, is that more of a something you work with the owners on or is that something you have a strong stance on? I, I, uh, I work with the owners specifically and I my process when I start to work with an owner is one of the first things I do is I have a very extensive questionnaire I go through and mm-hmm. I'm trying to learn what is they what is it they want to do how do they want to operate their farm 
as, as we go through that, we ask every question we can of how many bucket hooks they want in the corner stalls and how they turn their horses out. Okay. And when they answer that, it paints a very good picture of what, how exactly that farm needs to operate to their satisfaction. Yeah. Then if I see things having done a lot of barns and different farms over the years, I will mention, well, you try this, well, you try that. Mm-hmm. And so you go through that process and when you come out the other end, we hopefully have a barn that works for them, works for the horse and works for the site, which the whole point of my book is to sort of show how every project's different, certainly mm-hmm. the clients and projects, but the care and concern and health of that horse mm-hmm. remains the same, whatever we do, and it comes out a different result each time. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. The number of horses and, and is it just is it an equestrian center or is it just the owners dealing with the horses, trainers, all those things? That does make sense. But, yeah. you know, a, a lot of people might be getting um, uh, discouraged here because they think, oh, I could never afford a, a John Blackburn barn, but he sounds brilliant. And he is. But uh, you have templates, I think, too, barns that are yes. sort of pre-designed things, too. Tell, tell people yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. I'll be happy to. Uh, back about, oh, now about seven or seven years ago, I was getting a lot of calls. First, it started with people calling me about uh, wanting a barn using green materials. Mm-hmm. And our barns have been green for since I started designing in 1983. I, I described it as green, but back when green was only a, a color. And, now, <laughs> and so we developed a barn that, one, I wanted to reach to a wider segment of the market, do more for horses, but also more for the horse owners who wanted to have a healthy barn because I got a lot of calls from a lot of people who just couldn't afford it. So I, so I developed, based on the design of the barns that we've done so many of, I said, these are the four types that are most popular. Uh, let's create a model that someone could actually buy the plans uh, and just go off and build it. Or they could buy the plans and we could help them and build it, get a, getting a builder. Or we will adapt it and develop the site plan for what they need uh, to suit their program, their budget. And we can ship it anywhere in the world. Wow. And it's uh, it's all green materials if you want it. Mm-hmm. You can put on active systems if you want it, so you can actually basically take it off the grid and, and have totally self-sustainable. So we've designed these things and try to keep them competitive in price. It's still not as cheap as a prefab barn, mm-hmm. but the prefab barn manufacturer designs the same barn for the upper peninsula of Michigan as you would from South Texas. Yeah. So you're getting the same barn. In, in, a, in my barns, we would customize them to some degree for your location as as required. But you could buy that plant, those plants, at a, uh, a fairly low cost mm-hmm. and build them anywhere you want to build them. Now, and now we've got about seven under construction and we've wow. built, I don't know, three or four already. Wow. Yeah. So you get around um, overseeing all those, too. Well, we're excited about watching the progress go on this Southern California location. Not the easiest environment, us Southern Californians. And no, worry about Water is no, a huge not. issue. Hay is a huge issue, yeah. and water is a huge issue yeah. right now. So um, all those things will be fun to watch you. And uh, we got to get you up to Flag is Up Farm sometime, too, and, and you, can, you can critique us. We built that thing in 66, so I'm sure there's some retrofitting that we could use on that old classic too thank you thank you john well we will um we appreciate your time today and we would love to check back with you if you would let us and um please do we ought to stay in communication so as uh, as the edgar barn continues to develop we will be happy to uh 
keep you in the loop. Great. We want to learn with you as you as you come up with these new green answers. Thank you, John Blackburn. Our trainer's tip today comes from Dr. Andrew McLean from Australia, where he shares his tip on overshadowing. Well, welcome back, Dr. Andrew McLean. Thank you for for a volunteering, we, I think we twisted your arm, but coming back and giving us a tip and, and using more of your time. You're all the way down in Australia. I appreciate that. We're going to be seeing you soon in May. But um, what would you lend us? What would you lend our listeners who just love horses and are all about horsemanship? Oh, thank you. You're more than welcome. Um, the one thing that I think is very useful for horse people is um, a process called overshadowing. And overshadowing is um, a psychological term that basically means that when an animal or person is confronted with two different stimuli that cause it to move, um, the the animal will actually move from the strongest one. So where this could can be useful is, for example, if the horse is afraid of the clippers, or 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 um, when you're worming the horse with worm paste or anything like that, is that as you approach with the clippers. If you teach the horse to step back and step forward from the lead rein and teach him a very very clear to step forward and step back, which is something that I think in your world people do well, but in my world they don't. Um, dressage people particularly are very afraid of stepping horses back, mm. um, which I think is crazy because it's just another response. But nonetheless, if you, if you practice step forward and step back from the lead rein so that in the end it becomes very light, then... <coughs> excuse me. Mm-hmm. Then when you approach with the clippers, if you only approach to the point where the horse becomes mildly concerned, and at that moment step the horse forward and back and keep doing it until he becomes light again, because the moment he's concerned, he'll be mm-hmm. overshadowed by the clippers ah. and his step back will be poorer. And so will his step forward. Step back is more important than the step forward, actually, because if the horse does show fear to the clippers, he'll be leaping forward in most cases. I see. Um, and then when he's light, you bring the clippers maybe one meter closer again and attempt to step forward and step back and again keep doing it until he's light. It'll be heavy again because his brain is diverted to clippers. And so uh-huh. you can close in with the clippers by doing this. And it's, it's quite a rapid, easy reaction to um, produce. And then, of course, when you touch him on the skin for the first time, immediately step him back and then forward and back until he's light. Uh-huh. And it really makes a big difference and makes it so much quicker. And I, I teach this at a lot of veterinary um, hospitals and for veterinary um, functions and uh, meetings because uh, vets are often confronted with sure. dealing with yeah. horses, but they're usually so uneducated about handling horses. The amount of time they spend at universities is so low uh, yeah. in ha- actual handling live horses properly and they don't learn it from the point of view of understanding what rewards reactions. They don't learn any what I call learning theory at all mm-hmm. in most universities. So teaching uh, people how to do this means that you, you won't need to use drugs. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a safer animal anyway. When, when, you, when you're stepping forward and stepping back and he becomes overshadowed to the clippers and you gradually move in closer with the clippers, you find that it's not just a distraction. The horse actually learns to be unafraid of the clippers because his brain has said, I've got to answer the backwards pressure. Because Ah, if he doesn't, you increase it until he does. Mm -hmm. And the same with forward. And then he learns to have better leading responses 
and his reaction mm-hmm. to the clippers is diminished. So um, it's always best to start with very small clippers and then um, move on through various you know, gradations of the clipper noise mm-hmm. and pressure and as, um, as Monty himself does with the um, hair dryer, that's another very good step in yeah. the whole process. Mm-hmm. And you can, by stepping in forward, stepping in back and overshadowing, it, uh, it's not just a distraction. The next day you can come along and you'll find that the horse is totally calm about the clippers. So it's, a, it's, right, yeah. um, it's useful uh, that for, I use it for the dentist, for the farrier. If the, if, the sure. farrier, if the horse kicks out of the farrier, I step the horse back. I step him back as strongly as he needs to step back according to how hard he kicked out. And mm-hmm. I tell the farrier, I'm going to step him back, so let's go of the foot. But mm-hmm. very quickly, the horse learns that, um, to be controlled by the lead rein and not to be controlled by external stimuli such as farriers and clippers and yeah. wormers and things like that. Yeah, awful things like that. That's brilliant. Uh, it's a bit of a trust thing for horses, isn't it, to step back a little bit. They can't see precisely behind them and uh, because of the set of the eyes. And uh, so you're you're building on that trust that they yeah, they step right. they step back and they they didn't die, and but it does uh, bring their attention to that trust instead of the trust of the yeah. stimuli. Well, that makes good sense. It because they probably don't do that much step back on their own mm-hmm. compared mm-hmm. to forward steps. You know, it'd be something like a million to one the matter of the ratio of how many times the horses practice stepping forward as opposed to back. So you do have to teach them, and that's why you don't expect more than a step. Um, I, I wouldn't expect the horse to, you know, run back in the beginning yeah. or, you know, go back quickly or evenly or even straight, but just to step back one step. Very good. We're going to have to do a lesson on our Equus Online University for that one. That's, Please that do. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> could use that one, couldn't yes, we? Yes, I could use yeah. that one. <laughs> Maybe we could do that in May, too. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank if you, Dr. Wood. some um, information yeah. on that on my website, there's my email address. And um, I can I have some papers that have been published on on this overshadowing process. Perfect. We will put that up in the show notes so that everybody can click right on that and and see all your background and the and the uh, the research that you've done. Thank you. What in the wide wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in Solvang, California, September 20th at the Night of Inspiration Flag is Up Farms. And after that, he'll travel to India to work with the Brook Animal Hospital and help train staff as to better equine practices there. October 5th through November 1st, Monty will be on tour in the south of England all the way up to Glen Eagle, Scotland. And then on to Germany for tour on dates uh, the 8th and the 15th of November. December 1st through 5th, he's going to hold a special training in English, uh, but it'll be translated in Portuguese. Again, that'll be at Flagazette Farms in Solvang, California. So both English-speaking and Portuguese-speaking people are welcome. And then December 12th through 14th, that's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we have our next Horse Sense and Healing for Stress Injuries in our service personnel and first responders. It's free to those veterans who um, call us and arrange for that. And, of course, you can see more at MontyRoberts.com, and you can find Monty's calendar there, or you can give a call to 805-688-6288. 
For details about today's show, go to horsemanshipradio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. And as always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under facebook.com slash Monty Roberts and Twitter at twitter.com slash Monty underscore Roberts. And many thanks to our sponsors. Be sure that you visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. 